0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Scarlet Nation Podcast. This is a special signing day Scarlet Nation Podcast edition for the Twenty Four Seven Sports Network. Uh, Bobby Darren here, joining by Brian Doan, national recruiting analyst. We're going to talk about the Rutgers class of twenty twenty four. Now, no one's really signing today. But there's still a lot to talk about. 17 early enrollee freshmen already on campus. A handful of transfers already on campus. Um, it's a record number of of early enrollee freshmen. So, um, you know, we can jump right in and talk about those guys. But before I, I do so, Brian, welcome to the show again, and I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks, Bobby. Thanks for having me. And I think the best part about tomorrow is I don't have to get up at like
1: 620 to start getting ready for those. Letters
0: coming in at seven o'clock. <laughs> so, so I'm very thankful you know, for that. And it's amazing how it's changed. It's signing day, but it's not really signing day. I mean, the early right. signing period's kind of taken over. And I mean, it's it was such a sudden shift. I mean, it, and you cover, you know, a lot more territory. Is there any drama that's going to unfold? Or is it just, you know, this is just the aftermath? I mean, there's a few
1: kids that are still going to decide, and maybe you'll have a late flip somewhere. But, like, I know Maryland's going to sign two kids. Both of them are committed. Um, you know, There's a kid out of Philadelphia who is talking with Nebraska, and he's, he's probably going to announce for Nebraska on signing day, former Wisconsin commit. Um, you know, I think BC is going to sign a player. But, yeah, I think, I think right now you get through the signing day in December, you know, I heard you say record number of early enrollees. It's almost now more of a story if the kid's not an early enrollee. You know, that used to be the exception. Now it's the rule. And I think when you look at signing day and then December and then the early part of January, it's all about transfers and getting some kids from the portal to help fill out your too deep. And in some cases, you know, with Rutgers, Demir Miller, who the receiver from Mammoth who maybe could be, you know, a number one type receiver. And it's also keeping your roster intact, which again, Rutgers did a phenomenal job. Um, I'm amazed at what these coaches have to go through where, you know, it's not just Shiano getting ready to play Ohio State on Saturday. It's that Thursday night where you you leave practice and usually it's family time. It's it's Shiano going to meet with boosters and potential NIL people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it's changed so much, but that's where we are in football. But it just, you know, the focus has shifted from tomorrow to to that third Wednesday in December. now.
0: Yeah, and you know that was that was kind of a hectic time, uh, you know, for you especially. But uh, as I mentioned, 17 early and really freshman on campus, Brian. Um, you know, we can talk about some of those guys because they're already getting acclimated to college life, to the offseason strength and conditioning program and preparing for spring practice, which will begin in late March. Um, you know, start off with the uh, quarterback A.J. Sures. A lot of people, you know, excited about his arrival, the son of a, of a longtime uh, head coach at the college level and Bob Sures at Princeton. Um, what what do you kind of get? What kind of feel do you have of him already? And And, you know, where do you think he stands in his development?
1: Yeah, I I think first of all, his, you know, and I've known him for a while now. I've I've seen him play a few times. I've seen him at camps uh, a bunch, and he's a kid that really has grown on me. Like, I remember watching him as a sophomore, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, at a camp. I'm like, okay, there's something there. He throws a good ball, and and then he just got better and better. I, I love him. I think, you know, if you're looking at at quarterbacks and i know what wins that was rated i do but if i'm looking at quarterbacks with rutgers i i feel like he's the best maybe pure thrower since savage of of just throwing the ball but his delivery was always quick and and then he grew and then he showed some dual threat ability which in the college game you have to have now unless you're an absolute stud um And then, you know, you hear things just because I talk to a lot of coaches and and kids at the high school level who know everybody and and all that. And the early returns are that, you know, he's everything that Rutgers wants him to be through his first Mm -hmm. few weeks of being there and going through the throwing programs and the offseason workouts. Um, I'm told he's, uh, you know, whatever the football equivalent of a gym rat is in terms of just digesting everything informationally and it makes sense i mean look he's a coach's kid we all know the cliches of that but um mm. yeah from from everything i hear early on uh, he's doing exactly what you want him to do now is he going to be ready for the season listen man if he if he has to play a bunch during the season something has gone terribly wrong at the quarterback position you just want him to be able to grow into it learn the system and move forward off of that.
0: Okay. And you know, is as, as far as The rest of the class, you know, there's some there's some guys that are high profile, Brian, some, you know, maybe slid under the radar. I I guess you can run into some of the guys that more high profile. Um, You know, you have Antonio White, the highest ranked kid in the class, a four star from Georgia, which is an important recruiting ground in itself. Uh, We've seen Greg use safeties early in their careers, dating back to Courtney Green, who started as a freshman. Um, What can we expect from this kid?
1: Yeah, I think I think. it's been an amazing thing for them to be able to hand on, you know, to, to hang on to Antonio White out of Georgia. We've talked about it before and the importance of being there, um, you know, and get some kids out of that region. But he he is a playmaker on the defensive side. Um, he understands how to go get the ball. He reads plays well, He'll come up and just hit you in the run game. I, I love the. Courtney Green comparisons because I thought Courtney was a big physical kid who could you know he could do it as a free or a strong and I, I think with Antonio what he has the athleticism to also you know he can go down and cover slot man to man if he needs to I, I think the the world of I him mean, he's a big you know for me he's a big playmaker and then you look at like Kyle Sanders who played running back played safety he could probably play either in college, I think his higher ceiling is a safety as well there. And, you know, we we all know, you know, the McCourties, Deron Harmon and and Logan, Bryan, and, you know, their longevity in the NFL. And so Rutgers has built this idea of being a really good defensive backs school, in addition to running backs, but defensive backs. And I I think with, I, I think Taj is just Getting going, like he was good mm-hmm. as a junior. He was really good as a senior, and he still has so much more room for growth. And he runs well. Like I, I don't think people appreciate just that he has the speed. So I, I look at him on the on the defensive side, also as a kid who you know. You, if those two are your starting safeties for a couple years, once they get some experience, I think you're going to be all right back there.
0: Okay. And you mentioned speed, um, something that's been needed at the wide receiver position. Uh, I just did a preview on the wide receivers in the upcoming spring, and y- you have some guys, some young oh, God talent. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. you get through every position one one at a time, Brian. Um, uh, but you get the, you know, you have some young guys coming up and and then you have three in there now as early enrollees, and uh, you know. You say, oh, is there room for him, but no one's really proven themselves as a, as a all Big Ten, you know, top all Big Ten receiver. So I, I guess the rooms the, it, the door is open for anyone. And and you have a trio coming in with Corey Duff, Ben Black and Isaiah Crumpler. And I know, you know, those three guys pretty well. Uh, do those guys have a chance to break in as true freshmen and, and what's their ceiling?
1: Yeah, I, I think. You know, for each one is different because of the different types of skill sets they bring. Right. So you look at Corey Duff, who is more of a long wiry type receiver, who is he going to catch the ball 60 yards down the field? Yeah, probably not. Um, but he, he's a guy who can create some mismatches because of his size that even when he's covered, if he's split out wide, you know, you just put the ball up and the corner may not be able to get there. Um, you know, he Corey's a legit, you know, 6'4", 6'5", and, and that's huge. And he's got really good ball skills and good hands. Um, you look at Ben Black, and, and you mentioned speed, and you're talking about a kid who, again, to, to hold on to him when North Carolina State, who has a really good NIL program, was pushing really hard for him. And you realize that Ben Black is a 10 6 kid in high school like he ran 110 76 seven i mean that's that's legit big time speed um and so you get you get him in there now could he play corner yeah there's talk of maybe playing corner too um and that's the great thing about the versatility that you know Corey duff maybe if he continues to develop and gains the weight and his frame can support it. Maybe eventually he turns into a tight end. Don't know. Mm-hmm. Ben Black, could he be a corner? And, and I look at, and so that, you know, he just gives you the speed there. And then with Crumpler, and, you know, if the name sounds familiar, yet, yeah, it's, it's Algie Crumpler's brother, um, you know, another brother of his played in the NFL as well. The dad, mm-hmm. uh, I think, played in the NFL, is I think is in the East Carolina Hall of Fame. Um, for playing mm-hmm. there, and, and Crumpler is another kid who I, I loved his film. I, I thought he was really good. He's another versatile kid who can can fit in a in a couple different roles on either side of the ball. But to me, um, and, and I do want to ma- mention, you know, Matthew Aguni, out of Flowers down in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, I saw mm-hmm. him play, and I thought he was really athletic. He was long. He just needed some time to understand some of the intricacies of football, um, get into a system where maybe you you know, pass the ball again. And he's his body type is very similar to Corey Duff and maybe mm-hmm. he transitions to tight end at some point. But, you know, Bobby, along those lines that we're talking about those receivers, one of the things I really like is Christian Dremel coming back. And mm-hmm. the reason I say that is Christian Dremel is a self-made player, right? Two years ago, when we brought up Christian Dremel, we'd we'd kind of look at each other and be like, yeah, I'm sure he'll have a good spring game and then we'll never hear from him again. (laughs) And then I I remember sitting with you at one of the practices during training camp or maybe Mm -hmm. the scrimmage or whatever. And I'm like, man, this kid's going to play because he Mm -hmm. works hard. He's precise with his routes. He maximizes his talent and he's a hard worker. And he's built himself into being a, a good Big Ten receiver. And these younger kids are going to see that. And they're mm-hmm. going to see how much work he put in. And that's the kind of personality he is where he he's, doesn't have a big ego. He'll help the younger players. And, and I think as we look at things and how does the room develop, it's not just talent, but you need somebody that's going to, Show the younger kids, hey, here's the right way to do it. Um, and when he, you know, he'll drop a ball, he, it's not the end of the world. He gets to the next rep, and he's and he's going to compete at everything he does. And and I think that's
0: something to really look at. Good point. Point, and you know, they're they're. In need of somebody to really step up, you know, with him in, in that receiver room. And, you know, Brian, I, we're talking about all these enrollees at Rutgers, and, and I, you know, I, you hear about it in, in other places as well. And you, you cover recruiting from, you know, Florida to Maine. So, is every school? Is it? Um, I mean, is every school like this now? Is it? Is it? Is it? Everybody's an early enrollee. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're, if
1: you're not, an early enrollee. Now, there's some places that just don't allow it, right? and Mm -hmm. so you 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 want to enroll early your school doesn't allow it there's different ways that schools and kids are getting around it um more schools are becoming a little bit more flexible with things um just in terms of being able to you know enroll early but if you look at like penn state i think they have like 16 or 17 early enrollees um Mm -hmm. now one thing some kids are doing and not all of them and and again, you look at a place like Pittsburgh Central Catholic or the Gilman School down in Baltimore. They don't really allow early enrollings. so <laughs> you know you know what you're getting with that now there's some places though where I know a couple of the boarding schools up in New England um, in a couple of the classes, they don't allow early enrolling. so what the kids <laughs> do is you know, after Thanksgiving they withdraw from school and take the GED and get that and then go to college so there's ways around it and you know the one thing you have to remember and 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 I kind of look at things differently like it's really hard to play as a freshman and the idea of these kids staying in school and enjoying their last few months of being a senior and before it gets crazy serious when you get to college I, I think that's a lot of ways irreplaceable but the flip side is you get there early these kids are so driven that that other stuff isn't as you know they've already sacrificed so much in their life to get to where they are you know i know mm-hmm. people think that they roll out of bed and they're just talented but that's really not how it works and so mm-hmm. you know they they do that stuff just in terms of they don't mind missing all that stuff and then, and then you know a lot of kids I don't think people realize this but a lot of a lot of schools will let these kids go back home if they want to go to senior prom or they'll go back home for graduation so they're allowed to do stuff like that but um, I think I think all over the country now it's wait you're not an early enrolling what happened I think think (laughs) that's
0: where we're at yeah and, and just seven of them of 24 Rutgers commits will be arriving in in um. You know, whenever their school lets out, you know, some let out first uh, summer semester, some second summer semesters. So the the um, private
1: schools, usually those kids can get there for the first summer semester and the public mm -hmm. schools. It's usually for the second. But then if you're in the south where school gets out a lot earlier, it's just you got to remember You know, we're in New Jersey and we do things a certain way. Like South Carolina is going back to school like the second week of August. Mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, it's just different on where you are.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it, it, it should help, uh, you know, uh, also, like you said, in the development, Greg Ciano preaches it's a developmental program, um, but you're still adding some transfers in the mix too. Brian, they have a handful now. I know we've touched on that before, but what can we expect uh, from the next wave of transfers that go into the portal and, and, and how do you expect Rutgers to navigate that?
1: Well, I, I know you know the, the the next window opens in the spring when you know after spring practices are over. In some instances, during some spring practices, I know some mm-hmm. schools use it strategically to kind of end their spring practice right about when the portal's supposed to close is what they've done in the past. But listen, I, I think mm-hmm. directors is still would still like to add a tight end in right. the portal, um, and I think you know they're going to become available again um, in the spring. A, now, listen, everybody sits down. It's so easy. Hey, they need to add an offensive tackle or offensive lineman. Listen, man, this is where it gets down to NIL. And people some people don't want to hear it. But the reality is, if you are going to be a starting offensive lineman at the Power 5 level, um, you're going to command a six-figure NIL. And usually it's not 100,000 is the six figures. It's more in the two, three, $400 range. You want an elite one? You know, you're you're climbing north of 500K. And so Mm -hmm. they have to be, that's why it's a developmental program, right? They can't turn Mm -hmm. around and be like, oh, we need to fix this, we need to fix that. We have to bring in this transfer. You look at what Louisville has done through the transfer market. And they have brought in a ton of kids through the transfer market. And and I spoke with a with a bunch of kids, I should say a bunch, a handful of kids who have visited Louisville or committed there or whatever. And it's no secret that it's a it's a big NIL draw for the transfers. Like we list 26 transfers going into Louisville this year. Twenty-six. Mm-hmm. Wow. And a lot of it, you know, and, and you're looking at some of them. One's the offensive tackle. I think he was at Yale, Jonathan Mendoza. I think he's a Long Island kid. I mean, NIL played a major role in that. And and you can go down the list with some of them. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, Rutgers, yeah. You, do you want to bring in an offensive lineman? Yeah. Uh, tight end? Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of other people that want to bring it in, bring them in too. and. Just not that easy all the time
0: and and you know they also retained ten players who had one final year of eligibility left a guy like Holland Pierce could have demanded a lot of money on the on the transfer market so uh, you consider the funds were depleted there as well in in player retention
1: well that's what it is right and and you know I wrote that story after they got Bull eligible talking mm-hmm. to Shiano, and and that was his thing about Nil was Listen, it's about, at, at a place like Rutgers, and a lot of places, you know, let's not make it seem like it's just Rutgers. But, um, you know, I will say, because I have to, you know, a lot of other places, the AD actually helps. But mm-hmm. Rutgers is about player retention. And that's what it is, right? So so if you turn around and you look at, you mentioned Holland Pierce, Manungai, Mo Ture. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. those are really good players. And so when Shiana says, they're a developmental program. They are. But once you develop them, you still have to keep them now. Right. So, that, And and I think they've done a good job. I think they did an unbelievable job with that, to be honest.
0: Yeah. And, you know, like you said, all, all of those guys came back. The only one they lost was Max Melton, but lost him to the NFL draft. And and that's kind of unheard of. You know, you see some of these schools or more of these schools, Brian, and guys, they, they lose guys every year to to the portal.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good job. I think it's it's how they develop the, the culture there, understanding that, you know, if you're if you're motore, could you have maybe gotten a little more somewhere else? Yes, but you know what your spot is at Rutgers. And you mm-hmm. know, you know, now there's some other stuff, you know, family-related that will keep some kids close. Um, you know, I, I know Demir Miller told me one of the reasons he chose Rutgers was to be close to, some family members, but like Motore knows he's going to be used, how he's going to be used. The NFL scouts mm-hmm. know who he is, know what he needs to work on. So, and, you know, you're not coming back to play for free. So right. uh, there's, you know, so there's a lot of factors that go into it.
0: Now, now some of the kids we interview, Brian, make more than we do.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: not some. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I mean,
0: it's,
1: <laughs> But you know what? This is what this is, this is. where things are, and I don't ever begrudge people for going out and making money. You know what I mean? Like, I, mm-hmm. I know I've, I've covered the pros before, and the pros are about, I don't care. You can sit there and say whatever you want, winning and all that stuff. And pro sports are about money. How much can you make? And, you know, never... I would say it is such a rarity in pro sports when a guy goes somewhere that takes less money. You know what I mean? It's like Mm -hmm. you're you're trying to maximize. And especially like some of these kids aren't going to play in the NFL. So maximize your earning power now. They're going to make more now than they will when they get out of school. So
0: might
1: as well well take advantage of it. And listen, if people have problem with this is what I always say. Like, and and it goes with whether it's movies or, or the pros or even the college stuff now it's like you know if if you have a problem with the kids making money then just explain to me why it's okay for the schools to make you know 70 million a year off the tv stuff um, right that, that's how i look at it like nobody cares that that the owners in the NFL are making a billion dollars a year, but they're ticked off that the quarterback's making fifty. I, I don't think right. I gotta...
0: yeah, it yeah, there's there's enough to go around and and those are the players, those are the, the reasons that they make the money, the players. You know, without them there right. is no revenue.
1: Right. Right. And and, and again, the, the owners take big risks, the colleges do take a risk. But you know, one of the things that I know we're going off the rails a little bit here on a tangent, but one of the things that always makes me laugh about you know, NJ.com always does those stories of this is how much Rutgers is losing in athletics. Well, you know, accountants can make things look different sometimes, but the fact of the matter is athletics is what maybe two or 3% of the Rutgers budget. And Mm -hmm. if you spend that, if that, if you consider as an advertising budget and what that Mm -hmm. means for applications and, and, notoriety for the school i mean now during the big 10 everybody knows who rutgers is There's no, I, I used to live in los angeles when they were in the, the big east and people you know there was some confusion out there is rutgers in the ivy league and this and that it's like ivy league mm-hmm. i went to an ivy league school but <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, i mean let's go then. but but uh but i mean it's a really good academic school and, and i've said long now, I used to talk about this with Chris Ash. One of the biggest problems with Rutgers is they never marketed in-state like they did out of state. The further you get out of state, and I, like I said, I've lived to other places. That I've done the other side of the country. The better the academic reputation is. Like out west, it's it's stellar. Um, in the south, it's stellar, um, and they've never done that. But there, there's so many other factors that go into it. Than just well, we're paying the football coach this much. It, it's it's so it's so to me, whenever you do those, this is how much they lose, whatever. It's just so short sighted and easy instead of actually diving deep into what it means.
0: OK, and my and, right, last one, I, I know, um, you know, it's, it's a while for the class of 2025 to sign, but, you know, s- staff has kind of moved on to recruiting that class. Um, you know, Rutgers has hosted a lot of guys. Um, do you see uh, that start moving the needle in terms of commitments? What can we anticipate in the coming months? You know,
1: I, I spoke to somebody about that um, on Monday, just about how quick things could start moving. And mm-hmm. it's a, that's not how it works right now. You're going to get some commitments. Like, I know they're doing well with Michael Troutman. I know they're doing well with, with the running back, um, Jonathan Forster. Troutman's at the Paul Catholic. Forsters up at St. Joe's Montvale. Um, mm-hmm. Now they're doing well. Could both of them decide in February? Yeah, I could see it. I mean, Troutman went to Penn State over the weekend. Um, I think Rutgers leads for both of them. I, I don't think, I think right now it's a pretty big gap between one and two for both of them. But mm-hmm. if you go look at, at how it played out last year and as we start doing this stuff, these kids make some visits in January, kind of sit back, analyze some stuff in February, and then they're going to hit some places in March. And so Hmm. to me, it really starts moving March, a little bit of March, April, May. And then if you remember, Bobby, in June, it was like official visits were coming and then all these kids were committing. And that's the other thing. I, I I think one of the things that Shiano has done really well and I think there's a lot, I don't think people realize just how challenging it is at Rutgers. One of the things he's done well is being patient in waiting to get good players. And Mm -hmm. it's really easy to sit there and and be ready to go, and and we're going to take this kid and this kid. That's not how he does it. He's very patient with how he does things. And I think it shows in a couple classes, because they're recruiting athleticism, length, and speed, at the skill spots, mm-hmm. and they're happy with what they got on the line of scrimmage. So I guess my long-winded answer is I think you can see some trickle through maybe February, March, but it's really going to pick up
0: in the spring. Okay. And and I think it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, we often talk about coaches not being able to help themselves, taking commitments. I think that's something Greg has matured in since his first time around in, in, in being a little more patient in that regard.
1: He, yeah, I think he's patient, but I also think there's times where it's like, listen, if this is what it's going to be, you know, and and you're going to go to Rutgers, but you're waiting this because you want to get love from other schools, listen, move on, right? Because here's one thing. You may not get the kid you want maybe from New Jersey or close to campus because he's going to take his time and do stuff. And you you know Mm -hmm. what? I can go find that other player in Ohio or Michigan or Florida or North Carolina, and that kid's ready Mm to go. Right. So, you know, I, I I've never been of the, you know, if they don't get this kid, they're screwed kind of deal because you don't know mm-hmm. how things are gonna develop. But right, I'm also of the belief you know, look, I just spent five days in Florida in late January. And... and I'm just telling you, between going to schools and going to a seven on seven, every time you turn around, there's some athletic freak doing something. Yeah. So there there you you can that's why everybody recruits Florida and you can find them. You just have to find the right fit for your program. And and Rutgers is very different in a lot of places for a lot of reasons.
0: All right, well Brian, we're going to close it out. Anything else you want to touch on maybe that we didn't uh, talk about on this signing day 2024.
1: Yeah, I, I think the only thing to say is you as you move forward, and obviously the content will continue with Scarlet Nation and, and recruiting. I, I think one of the things that I'm concentrating on for the 25th class for, for the Rutgers fan, right, who's gonna read it, is trying to to make them understand maybe a little earlier in the process who's important and who they need mm-hmm. to keep an eye on. Um, just in terms of you know. So when the kid visits, they understand the impact of having that kid on campus instead of it just being a name. And I think that's one thing that I hope folks out there pay attention to a little more is. You know, we've done a good job, I think, with making sure people know that Michael Troutman and John Forster are kids that they they want a lot, um, but. You know, maybe a Cam Miller in South Jersey or something like that. Just just making sure people understand. Um, career is a little bit different and how to narrow focus a little bit.
0: All right. Excellent. Well, Brian, thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. Uh, If you're not a VIP member of Scarlet Nation, get on now. We have a 60 percent deal today only. Uh, You can get us, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're talking Rutgers recruiting, Rutgers football, Rutgers basketball. You can interact with myself, Brian Doan and the rest of the crew. And thank you for listening. We'll see you again. Happy signing day.